A lot of people uh, did financial peace recently. We had about 15 people. I think 10 of those came from our church. A couple came from uh, another church. But, uh, but they finished up this last week, financial peace. And I just thought this was kind of cool. I just kind of think this is good news. It's worth sharing with you. And I want to encourage you, those of you who have not done it, you might want to consider doing it next year, and then it could be your good news next year. Uh, but this is what happened uh, this year. Fifteen people, this is 15 people, 15 people paid off $74,426 of non-mortgage debt. Did you hear that? That's almost $75,000. That's a lot of money. That's huge, okay? And then, uh, and then also... Uh, on top of that, they put $23,995 into liquid savings. That is huge. You know, you, just imagine you have an emergency. You know, your car goes out, you've got to get a new car. Imagine being able to pay cash for something like that. That would be huge, okay? Uh, also, 18 credit cards were cut up, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then one person began tithing for the first time. So. I just thought that was really cool. That was really cool. I wanted to pass that on to you. I wanted to pass it on to you. Uh, you know, normally, now, I don't know what your church experience was like, but when I was a kid, uh, nobody got to talk in the church except for our pastor, uh, Pastor Hart. And, uh, but sometimes I thought that I was a part of the club, and I would start talking too. And when that would happen, my mom would take me out to the car and give me a talking to, Okay. And uh, help me to be a little bit quieter in church. But in our church, we like talking in church. And so what I'm going to ask you to do right now, uh, we're going to look at a text of Scripture, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 12. But what I want you to do is I want you to turn to the person next to you, or two or three, or 10 or 15, however many people you want to include. But I want you to turn to some of the people around you, and I want you to answer a question for each other. Uh, and this is the question. What is prayer? What is prayer? That's an easy question. What is prayer, and how does prayer make a difference in our lives and our world? Okay? So right now, in your little group, uh, I want you to talk about, I want you to answer that question for one another. What is prayer, and how, is it, how does it make a difference in our lives and world? All right, so let's take a moment, and I'd like to hear from some of you. Um, I'd, I'd like to hear from some of you, what is prayer, and, and how does it make a difference in our lives and our world? So uh, anybody, what, what's some of the things you heard this morning? Communication, uh, talking with God, okay? Okay, and how does it make a difference in our lives and our world? Okay, oops, talking with God, all right, listening, okay, I'm sorry, reflect, okay, to reflect, okay, praise, okay, it helps us to develop gratitude, okay, that's great. Okay, okay. Kathy, you said opening up to God's perspective. Is it, okay, okay. So it, it, opening to God's perspective. All right, fantastic. 
Okay, connect, being in God's presence, connect. Wow, you guys are fast. I'm not. Okay. (laughs) Patience. Is that what you said? Someone said conversation. Oh, two-way conversation. All right. Okay. All right. Two-way. All right. Conversation. All right. Seeking his will. All right. This is all good. This is all good. This is very, very good. I want you to answer me a question, though. How does it make a difference in our lives and our world? Changes everything. Okay. Changes everything. What do you mean by that? Okay. Ah, okay. Okay. Someone said it changes me. Strengthens the bond. Okay. Okay, so intercession. Okay, this is great. This is fantastic. Okay, maybe one more. How does this make a difference in our lives, our world? Okay, okay. Develop relationships. Okay. By the way, okay, sense of his will. Um, <clears throat> one thing, one little encouragement, and then we're going to look at uh, Matthew 7 uh, here in just a minute. Uh, one thing I want to encourage you to do, if anybody ever comes to you asking you to pray about something, one of the things I'd like to encourage you to do is that God has brought that person to you for a purpose. Pray with them right then, right then. Because sometimes we say, yeah, I'll pray for you, and we go home, we completely forget about it. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. But stop them, pray them, pray with them. And there's something special about being prayed for in a moment, prayed over in a moment. And people need that. They need that from you. They need it from me. And uh, so, uh, so when uh, 49 years ago, 49 years ago, actually 49 years ago this week, 49 years ago this week, it was the 100th year of college football. Why are you laughing? It was the 100th year of college football. It was, we're talking about prayer. You will care, okay? 100th year of college football. 100th year of college football. The, the, the whole uh, football was very different then, okay? Football was very different because back then, Arkansas was as good as they are bad now, all right? And if you don't know how bad Arkansas is now, this was their worst year ever uh, in their football program. Uh, they, back in the 60s, Arkansas had a really good team. Texas had a really good team. Let me tell you how good. Let me tell you how good. 1964, uh, Arkansas won the national championship. Uh, that was significant, important. Yeah, go Hawks, all right? And uh, on that team were Jerry Jones, Jimmy Johnson, and Barry Switzer. So if you know football, you may know some of those names. All those guys were on the same team. Uh, and back then, in 64, they won the national uh, championship. In 65, they went 10-1 which isn't bad. That's pretty good. Okay, so back then they didn't play as many games as they do now. They went 10-1. and one. Uh, In 68, they went 10-1 and one again. And their only loss, their only loss in 1968 was to Texas. Texas. No, no, not A&M. Yeah, they used to kill A&M every year. Um, so, I mean, it was just, they, back then, seriously, only, only two teams won national championship except for two years. Excuse me. The uh, conference championship, Southwest Conference Championship, was Arkansas and Texas. And both of them had won several 
uh, or had won a, a couple of, of national championships. So Arkansas had won one. I think Texas had won two. But they were, were very much, it was, it was kind of a big thing. And so that year, it was, it was that first week of December. It was the last week of college football. And uh, both of the teams were un, undefeated. Arkansas had won either 14 or 15 games straight. Uh, at that time, uh, Texas, they had the best, uh, best offense in college football. Back then, teams didn't put up the kind of points that we do nowadays. Nowadays, we talk about how wide open the offenses are and how, much, how many points we put, on, uh, put up. But back then, Texas was putting up, they were the number one offense in the nation. They were putting up 44 points a game, 44 points a game. That's not bad today. That's really good, uh, 44 points a game. And, and they were using this kind of new offense that people were just getting used to. It was called the wishbone. They were using this new offense, and, and people were having a hard time stopping it. And so they were coming into this game, and they were going to play up in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and they were coming in with the number one offense in the country. But Arkansas had the number one defense. They had the number one defense, and they were giving up less than seven points a game. It was like 6.8 or something like that. And so what happened was these two teams were coming together, and they were calling it at that time the game of the century. Now, the funny thing is, every year since then, there's been a game of the century. There was another one yesterday, Georgia, Alabama, okay? And it's like a, and it, but this, the game was filled with a lot of drama. And at that time, I was 10 years old. I was 10 years old. But that year, in 1969, Arkansas had a secret weapon that they had not had before. Arkansas had a secret weapon that Daryl Royal did not know about and the Texas Longhorns did not know about. In fact, not even Frank Boyles, uh, the head coach of Arkansas, or the Razorback players, none of them knew about the secret weapon because this secret weapon was going to be me. It was going to be me. It was going to be me praying. Okay, now get into the spirit of the Old Testament. It was going to be like Moses. It was going to be like Moses praying for Joshua as Joshua led the armies of Israel against the Amalekites. And as Abraham prayed for uh, the, the, the armies of Israel and over Joshua, that, that they were winning, but whenever uh, Moses would begin to slump and, and lose his posture of prayer and his prayer, uh, that, that the Amalekites began to prevail. And so Aaron came along, and another guy named Hur came alongside Moses, and they supported him in his prayer over the armies of Israel. And I was praying, praying for Arkansas. And this is what you don't know. And this is what you, you can go back and you can read it in Wikipedia because they got an article on it, okay? You can read about it. Because going into the fourth quarter, those, that secret weapon was working. It was. It was. It, let me tell you, it was, this is how it was working. This is how it was working. The team that had been putting up 40 points, 44 points a game had not put up a single point. Not one point. They didn't put up a single point. In fact, Arkansas, Arkansas was up 14 and nothing, and Arkansas was driving again. They were driving again. They had taken the ball from the 20-yard line, and they took it all the way down to the Texas 7. And a guy named Bill Montgomery, he was one of the, the better uh, post-style offense quarterbacks at that time. But Bill, Bill Montgomery dropped back, 
and uh, he's going to throw he, to throw a pass, and he throws a pass into the end zone. And an uncircumcised Amalekite from Texas intercepted. It was terrible. It was terrible. I, my prayer faltered momentarily. Uh, it, but I'm like, I'm resolved. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that Arkansas wins. And I was praying. I was diligently praying. But you know what the Texans did? Those, those Longhorns from Texas? They drove the field. They drove the field 93 yards. They scored a touchdown. But they did something that no team did back then. They did something that no team did back then. In fact, they don't even do it today, not that much. Because what they did is they decided that they would go for two points on the first touchdown. The Dare Royal had made a decision before the game that, that when they scored their first touchdown, they would go for two to, to stop a tie. And they made that decision. They went for two points, and they scored. They scored. And I thought, well, that's okay. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. Where's her? Where's Aaron to support me? I need help here. Praying for our Razorbacks. And I prayed, and I prayed. And you know what? You know what happened? Texas scored again. They, uh, Texas wins the game. Richard Nixon was there. He was. I remember watching him fly in on Marine One. They, they Air Force One into Fort Smith, and then Marine One, the helicopter, uh, into to Fayetteville. And I remember watching him fly in. It was like it was a big event. And and I remember watching him hand the plaque to Dear Royal. <laughs> that I left. Um, and um, but I had prayed. I had prayed. And I'd really like a ten year old boy really put my heart into to praying for Arkansas to win. And for me, we laugh at it, but for me as a, as a little boy, it felt like a crisis of faith. And I remember I went to my mom and I said, Mom, I said, I really prayed that Arkansas would win. How come they didn't win? You know, there's all this stuff in the Bible about praying and God will answer and stuff. I mean, have you ever heard any of that stuff before? You're supposed to pray about anything, pray about everything, and and you're supposed to pray believing, and God will do whatever you ask, and just say something like that. And I had prayed. I had prayed diligently, and I would prayed with all my heart, and I had prayed with sincerity. And my mom, being a very, very wise woman, said, well, maybe there were more people praying in Texas. <laughs> and I'm thinking, when did God ever listen to the prayers of the Amalekites? So, you know, all of us, we kind of laugh. It's easy to laugh at, at that story. I want to ask you about a time. I want to ask you about a time when there was something that was very, very important to you. I want to ask you about a time. It wasn't, this wasn't a, a praying for your favorite sports team to win a game. This wasn't praying for a raise at work. This was not praying. It wasn't praying for... Career advancement. It wasn't praying for a new car. It was, it was praying for something that for you was huge. It was huge. It wasn't a football game. It was life-changing. Life-altering. I want you to think about a time when you prayed. And you prayed with sincerity and you prayed with faith and you followed all the formulas in the Bible. And you just felt like it fell on deaf ears.
You felt like that prayer never made it past the ceiling. And you were disappointed. You ever have that experience? Let's look at what the Bible says. First of all, let me, I want to share with you. A, I, I came across this quote in a book I was reading this last week. It's by a guy named Homer Hodge. He's been dead for a while. Uh, but what he said, it just kind of grabbed my attention. And this is what Hodge says about prayer. He says, he, says, he says, prayer should be the breath of our breathing, the thought of our thinking, the soul of our feeling, the life of our living, the sound of our hearing, the growth of our growing. The prayer in its magnitude is length without end, width without bounds, height without top and depth without bottom, illimitable in its breadth, exhaustless in its height, fathomless in depth and infinite in extension. This last week, I have struggled. It's not uncommon for me to struggle when I'm preparing to preach. It's not uncommon for me to stand up on a Sunday morning and to feel very, very small. It's not because I don't know the text. It's not because I don't know how to talk about it. Or It's not that. It's not that I don't know what, what other people have said from their study. It's not any of that. It's just that sometimes I'll come to a text of Scripture, and it's just like I, I look and I think, man, I still have so far to go. And this week, I was actually supposed to preach on this text last week, but some things happened. I had to change the way I was preaching. I am so grateful that I had more time to, to look at this and to think about this. Not because I'm, I'm there yet. I still feel very, very small. But I felt more convicted this week preparing for this message than I have felt I don't know how long. I, I, I listened to a message this week from a preacher I don't normally listen to. He's a good preacher. He's a really good preacher. He's not a, a riveting storyteller. He's not. He doesn't have a great voice. I mean, there are other people who have a more compelling demeanor and delivery than this guy. But what this guy has is he has an understanding of the Scriptures. He has a connection with God that I find enviable. And uh, he has a humility that just, just makes me want to think and examine my own life. The text I want to look at is Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. And I'd like you to read it with me. Uh, I'll read it for you. I'm reading from the NIV. We've got it up on the screen. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open up to it. And what Jesus is doing, this is the Sermon on the Mount. We've been saying this is the greatest sermon ever preached. I've been preaching the greatest sermon ever preached because it's not my sermon. Uh, and in this prayer, what Jesus has done is he's been talking a lot about relationships. And he's been talking a lot about the righteous commandments of God and how they apply to our interaction with other people. But at this point, Jesus says this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Jesus says, which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
showing everything, do to others what you would have them to do for you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This morning I want to share with you just a couple of thoughts from this if I can. First thought is this, it's just, it's a, it's a simple thought, is that, that God wants us to persevere in prayer. He wants us to persevere in prayer, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain to you how I see this, but he wants us to persevere in prayer to further his kingdom purposes in your life and world. That God wants you, he wants you, he wants you even when you feel like giving up, he wants you to persevere in prayer. He wants you to persevere and to never give up. Where do I see that in the text? Jesus says, ask. He says, seek, he says, knock. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know a little bit about Greek. I made really, really good grades in Greek when I was in, in grad school. And, and a couple of things here. That, that the, the tense, the verb tense, verb tense is important. It's very, very important. But it, it, it's important in ways that we don't necessarily understand and follow as well in English. But each one of those, those imperatives, the ask, seek, knock, it, it's in the present tense. For us, present tense, we, it has a time value. It's present as opposed to past, as opposed to future. But in Greek, um, the, 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 tense, the present tense, not just, it doesn't just have a time value. We've talked about this before, but it has a value of aspect. And the way I've talked about this before is I've talked about it. I usually will call Joy up here, humiliator. And then I will give her a little kiss, you know, the little kiss, you know. It's the little punctiliar uh, aorist tense in Greek. There's that, that momentary kiss. But then there's the kiss present tense, linear. You know the kiss I'm talking about? Okay, let's move from G waiting to PG, PG-13, all right? It's, we're talking about the kiss, where you kiss and keep on kissing. That's the present tense in Greek. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, ask, not, not just ask. But ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. It, it's kind of like this. It, it, I heard this, this preacher when I was listening to his message. He talked about it. He said it's kind of like a little boy. It's like a little boy crying out to his dad. Dad, he's asking. Dad, can I have something to eat? Dad doesn't answer. So what does he do? What does a boy do? He, 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 he does what every boy does. He asks a little louder. Dad! See, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, ask, ask. Uh, he's saying, see, what does a little boy do when dad doesn't answer the second time? He looks around, sees dad's not in the room. So what does he do? He, he begins to seek. He goes from room to room, and he doesn't find him, so he goes from room to room, and he doesn't find him, and he goes to room to room, and then he finds the room. The door is closed. It's the study, also known as the bathroom. Dad is in the study, the bathroom. And what does the little boy do? He knocks. But he doesn't just knock. He knocks and knocks, right? That's exactly what's happening in this text. Is, is what Jesus is saying is he, he wants you to be like importuning and insistent and never giving up. It, it's... You know, I, I thought of this. And I, it made me think about something. I, just, I thought about this morning. I, I, I don't know how many of you have been here long enough to remember this, but it was probably like 10, 11, 12 years ago. We had a group of people who were here for a Bible study after church one day. 
And one of our little boys at that time, his name was Spencer, Spencer Simpkins. But Spencer was being watched at another home while they were having the Bible study. And what happened is, you know, those of you who remember, you'll know that Spencer had Down syndrome. Cutest, sweetest little boy. And I remember that Spencer's mom, Jackie, came to my door, knocked on the doors about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's when I'm usually just watching football and kind of zoning out and kind of wishing that I had a different job, you know. <laughs> you know, and so I, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm, 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 I'm watching football, and someone knocks on the door, and I'm like, oh, no. Someone's at the door. And I walk, and I answer the door, and it's Jackie. And she's frantic. And she says, Spencer, Spencer's gone. Spencer's missing. And immediately, I dropped everything. I started making phone calls. I phoned as many people as I could in our church. I, and I told everybody, Spencer's missing. We've got to find him. It was over in Wood Creek neighborhood. Now, for those of you who don't know this and remember this, about 10 years before that, a little girl close to Spencer's age went missing. We never found her. Never found her. Spencer was missing. There was a sense of panic. There was, you know, we were going everywhere. I remember, I remember uh, Harry Price, uh, our mayor, Harry and, and Betsy uh, were there. They were out looking, and, and there were people in our church were looking. The police were looking. CHP flew a helicopter over. They were looking. We had sheriff's deputies out looking. We were looking. We were going door to door. We were trespassing. We were, we were asking, have you seen this little boy? We were seeking. We were looking. We were going in backyards where no one answered the door, and we were completely uninvited. We were going out into the orchards. We were going into the vineyards. We were looking everywhere. We were seeking, knocking. We were looking for Spencer because Spencer was missing. And when Jesus talks about asking, seeking, knocking, it's that prevailing, I will not, I will not be refused pursuit. And uh, I remember we were looking for him. And I remember that, that this truck drove up to a house across the street from the home that we had been in. And I remember the guy, I, I didn't know him well, but I remember him driving up, and I remember him parking his truck, and he asked, what's going on? He said, well, we're, we're missing a boy, and we can't find him. And a few minutes later, he came out, and uh, I don't remember if his backyard was locked or what, but apparently, uh, but Spencer had been in his backyard, and he came out of his house, and he had Spencer wrapped up in a towel, soaking wet, with a huge smile on his face. And he had been back there in this mud puddle with that guy's two Labrador retrievers playing with the dogs. And you know what? We wept together and we rejoiced together. We got had answered our prayers. We had found that little boy. And what Jesus is talking about is he's talking about asking, seeking, knocking, and he's talking about a pursuit of God that will not be refused. And the first thing I want you to see is that God wants you to persevere in prayer, to further his kingdom purposes in your life and world. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. The point of this text is that we need to be persistent and persevere in prayer. 
The question is, why do we need to persevere in prayer like this? And, 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 and the, the first answer to that question is simply this, is that it's through persevering in prayer that we further God's kingdom purposes in our lives. Our lives. See, the first purpose of prayer is not for the Razorbacks to beat the uncircumcised Texans, Longhorns. That's not primarily what it's about. It is, it is, it is, it is a pursuit of God to further his kingdom purposes in our lives. That the goal and aim of our prayer is not us getting our way with God. Do you understand this? Uh, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not prevailing, is not talking about prayer as a way of prevailing on God so that you get your will over God's will. It's not that at all. No, no, this is not, this is not the goal and aim of prayer is not us getting our way with God. The goal and aim of prayer is God getting his way with us. That it's through persevering prayer that, that we submit and surrender our willfulness to the will of God. There's a guy, his name's D.A. Carson. He's a lot smarter than I am. I just want to share with you a couple of thoughts from, from Carson. Uh, Carson says this. He says one of the most pervasive features of Jesus' teaching on prayer, and he talks about it here in the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about it in other parts of the book of Matthew. But the most pervasive feature of, the, of, the, of Jesus' teaching on prayer is the assurance that we'll be heard. It doesn't fall on deaf ears. It doesn't bounce off the ceiling. But such praying is not for selfish ends, Carson says. It is always for the glory of God, according to kingdom concerns. What, how does Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. See, it's praying for not my will over God's will, but God's will over my willfulness. So here, Carson says, the Sermon on the Mount lays down the righteousness, sincerity, humility, purity, love expected of Jesus' followers, and now it assures them that such gifts are theirs as sought through prayer. It's kind of like this. The kind of prayer that Jesus is talking about is not the prayer, God, make me rich. It's not that kind of prayer at all. In fact, it's the prayer, God, make me poor. Make me poor in spirit. See, this kind of praying is not the kind of praying that says, God, make me happy above all things. No, not at all. It's not that. It's, God, make me mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Make me mourn. God, make me, give me, help me to be brokenhearted by the things in my life that break your heart. See, it, it is a way of praying that is not imposing our will on God, but surrendering our willfulness to God so that his will prevails in our lives. Are, are you with me on this? you understand this? That God wants us to persevere in prayer. Why does he want us to persevere in prayer? Secondly, it's through persevering prayer that we further God's kingdom promises in our world. It's, it's through persevering the prayer that we further God's kingdom promises in our world. You know, you know, this, these, these ideas, they're not my ideas. I, I stole them. By the way, every good message point I've ever preached is a stolen idea. Uh, but I stole these ideas from a guy named Ian Bounds. Ian Bounds has been dead for a while, so he can't really 
say, you know, what, what are you doing, Gary? Uh, but but, uh, but Bounds talks about this, and, and I've, I've read some of Bounds' writings, but I recently started read, reading one of his books, and part of it was feeling so convicted by the sermon that I listened to, but I started listening, I started reading this book, and it's, it's, there's the power uh, through prayer that a lot of people have read, maybe you've heard of before, but there's another one called The Possibilities of Prayer that I began reading. And one of the things that, that Bounds talks a lot about is he talks about the promises of God and the prayers of God's people. And he says that, that when you read through the scriptures, what you see is you see over and over again is you see God give a promise. But then you see the people of God pray. And then you see God work. And God gives a promise. And you see the people of God pray. And you see God work. So you see it in Genesis. You see it in Genesis. See, God makes a promise. God makes a promise. He, 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 there's this guy, his name is Abraham. Maybe you've heard of him. Abraham. And, and God brought him to this land, uh, a land that where he left his family and everything familiar to him. And God promised to give him a son, and God promised to give him descendants, descendants like the sand of the sea, descendants like the stars in the heavens. And then for like 20, I don't know, 25 years, something like that, guess what? No kids. And, and so God makes this promise. And, and, and what God does is God says, says I'm going to give you a son. His name is Isaac. And through Isaac, I will number your descendants. And then God gives him a son. And then what happens is, is later that Isaac marries this, you know, this... Uh, this this young woman, her name is Rebecca. And guess what? Rebecca can't have a baby. And and what is what, what you know? There's a promise. The promise is given to Abraham and through Abraham to Isaac. And 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 so what does Isaac do when his wife can't have children? He prays. And what does God do? He opens her womb. You see it again. You see it later. You see it with with a, a couple of guys named Elijah and Ahab. Ahab's a bad guy. Elijah's a good guy. And what God does is God gives a promise through Elijah to Ahab that it's going to rain. It hadn't rained in a long time. There's been a huge drought. And he says it's going to rain. And he gives this promise. It's going to rain. And he gives the promise through Elijah to Ahab. And what what does Elijah do? He prays. But he doesn't just pray. It says he, he prays and he prays. And it doesn't just say that he prays and he prays, but he prays and 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 he prays. And it says seven times he prayed for rain. And then the skies got dark and the winds began to blow and the rain fell. Where do we see this in the scriptures? There's a promise and there's a prayer and then there's God working. We, We see it with Jeremiah and with Daniel. That God gives a promise to Jeremiah that, 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 that my people will be in exile. They will be in captivity for 70 years. But at the end of that time, I'm going to bring them back to this land. And I'm going to bless them. And 70 years later, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel, he reads that, that scripture from Jeremiah. 70 years later, what does Daniel do? He prays. And then in, in, in uh, is it, how many... 
chapters are in Second Chronicles. I think it's 32, something like that. I can't remember. Anyway, the last chapter of Second Chronicles, in the first year of a guy named Cyrus, who was the king of Persia, that God moved the heart of Cyrus. And Cyrus sent the people of Israel back to the land to build a temple for the Lord God. You see, there's the promise, there's the praying, and then there's God working. We see it in the New Testament. The God, he's ta- the, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking with his disciples. It's after his death, after his resurrection. He's appeared to them over 40 days with many convincing proofs. And he tells them, hey, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit that's been promised to you. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And what does the scripture say that the people did? It says in, in, in chapter, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says they all join together constantly, constantly. This is not just a one-time little prayer meeting, but they were constantly praying. In, in, in the Greek, it says they were praying the prayer. Uh, many Bible teachers and scholars believe it's a reference back, I think it's in Luke chapter 9, where, where Jesus promises that God will give his Holy Spirit to those who, who pray. And so they're constantly in prayer, and they're praying in, uh, in chapter 2. We read about this outpouring of the Spirit of God. We read about this outpouring of the Spirit of God, and what happens is that Peter steps up and he preaches. And that day, it says, 3,000 souls were added. 3,000 souls. You see, what we see in the Scriptures is we see God's promise, and we see God's people praying, and then we see God working. Uh, I read this quote from a guy named Samuel Chadwick. I've read it a few times, but I thought it was kind of pertinent on this text. And, and, and this is what Chadwick says. He says this. He says, Satan dreads. Listen to these words. Satan dreads. Dreads. You know what that means? It means to despise. It means to hate them like you do the Longhorns. All right? <laughs> Satan dreads nothing but prayer. Activities are multiplied that prayer may be ousted. Sometimes we can get so busy with church activities or other activities, there's no time to pray. Folks, if we're doing church activity, but we don't need God to help us do that ministry, something that's terribly wrong. Chadwick is speaking to that. He said activities are multiplied, that prayer may be ousted. Organizations are increased, that prayer may have no chance. The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints, the people of God, from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies. Hey, I can study all week long to prepare a message, but if I'm not invested in praying for you, that doesn't doesn't cause Satan any concern. He he fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Now, that's not Scripture, but I think it's very, very true. See, what God wants us to do is he wants us to persevere in prayer, to move his purposes forward. One more thought here, one more thought, is that God wants you to persevere in prayer and in trust in his goodness. See, what Jesus says, he says, which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know to have, how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And what Jesus wants to assure us of is that our prayers have never fallen on deaf ears. Does God always do exactly the way we want him to do? No. I mean, I don't know if you've ever prayed for someone, really, really prayed for someone, a loved one. Maybe they were really, really sick. Maybe they were making some really, really bad decisions. But you kept praying for them, and they just kept headed the same direction. Maybe you prayed for for someone that they would be healed, and they didn't get well. In fact, maybe they even died. One of the things that Jesus wants us to understand is that, that, again, prayer is not us getting our way with God, but God getting his way with us. And and that, that God will never give you a stone for a loaf of bread. He will never give you a snake for a fish. He will never give you something bad when you're asking for something good. And he wants to assure you that he cares deeply for you. God wants you to persevere in prayer and then trust in his goodness. And today we've talked a lot, talked a lot about prayer. And, and, and this is the, you know, this is, this is not where God wants us to end. God doesn't want me to finish a message for us to all go home and we're done. And then you come back next week and you listen to another message. And what God wants is he wants this to shape your heart. He wants this to shape your heart. And so, so I'm going to ask some of you to do something you're very uncomfortable with, and if you are, that's fine. You don't have to do it. But there are some of you today that you need prayer. Or there's some of you, there's someone here today that in your heart, there is someone that your heart is breaking for. Maybe that person is making some decisions that you know is going to lead to a train wreck in their lives or the lives of some other people. Maybe you're watching them one step at a time walk away from Jesus. Well, they haven't, you know, they haven't turned away from God. They're just one step and then one step and one step, but slowly they are walking away from Jesus. Some of you here today, you're deeply burdened for the salvation of someone that you have prayed for, perhaps not for a day or a week or a month or a year, maybe for years. Maybe you've even wondered, is it even worth praying anymore? Today, Jesus is saying, yes, it is. Today, there's some of you, you need someone to pray over you because you are, maybe you are stuck. There's something that's going on in your life. It may not be, quote, unquote, something that the world would say is really, really bad. You just know. You just know that whatever this thing is, it's standing between you and really, truly following Jesus. And you need to pray. And so what I'm going to do is, is, uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Can you give me some kind of like, uh, some kind of little music, background music? Is that all right? Yeah. I want to sing a song for you. No, I'm just kidding. I want to, I want to get. Yeah, don't stop believing. <laughs> it goes, <laughs> goes perfectly with this message, right? Um, but what I want is, is uh, I, I just want us to have a moment to pause, and I want you to come, and I want you to come and bring that burden. I want you to come and I want you to bring that burden and I want you to leave it right here. I want you to bring your prayer. And you can pray it silently. Now, some of you, this is going to be uh, way out of your comfort zone and that's the perfect place for you to be.
Because you never grow when you, you stay in the confines of your comfort zone. And if you stay in your seat, that's fine. You can pray in your seat, that's fine. But I'm just, there are some of you today, you need to be able to come here and you need to bring that care, that concern. And you need to be able to just feel like you're, you're just leaving it here. To leave it here for Jesus one more time. So I want us to just come up and in a few minutes I'm going to pray for all of us and you can return to your seats. And, uh, but let's pray. Thank you this morning that you always hear our prayers. God, there's not a, a single one of us who prayed today who brought anything to you that you didn't already know about it and you weren't deeply concerned about it before we even came up here. God, I am so grateful that you are a God who hears, that you are a God who sees, that you are a God who cares. And Lord, I want to thank you because we can always bring whatever burdens our heart to you. Uh, The Lord Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. God, I want to thank you that we have a Savior that we can unload our heavy yoke with and take his light yoke on us. That we can experience not weariness but rest from you. Lord, you know what the thoughts are here, the concerns. God, I want to pray that you will work in the life of every single person here today and for the people that they may be praying for. But I pray that your will will prevail in their lives through all of this. And I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.